I didn't think it would be blown out of proportion this badly, complained Josh Eastman, 24 years of age, of Bridgeport, Connecticut, over a simple, or at least what I thought would be a simple video. The Hartford Current reported that the video, which Josh posted to YouTube, shows his eight-year-old neighbor cursing like a sailor, while Eastman is allegedly heard egging him on. I didn't provoke him at all, Eastman claims. He just came out and said it on his own. He swears like that all the time. But the boy's family says he doesn't normally talk like that. And Eastman has been arrested, listen to this, on a charge of impairing the moral values of a child. I was in my own yard and my private property, Eastman complained later, and I thought I could do whatever I wanted. Boy, now there's the American way, isn't it? Thought I could do whatever I wanted as we move further, my friends, into this series that we're calling Bringing Jesus to Life. I suggested to you that we should quit calling ourselves Christians and instead identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. I know, seems a little radical, but you know, I feel like there's way too much confusion in our society today about what exactly a Christian is. Too many folks who call themselves Christians and the word you remember means belonging to Christ. Too many who say that they belong to Christ are like Josh Eastman of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they think that they can do whatever they want. But that is simply not true. True followers of Jesus don't do whatever they want. They respond to the question that Jesus asked in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? They hear that question from Jesus and they think seriously about it. True followers of Jesus know that those words from him came with a warning about what happens to the one who hears the words of Jesus but does not obey them. Jesus said that person is like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the flood comes, the house is destroyed. And Jesus said the destruction is complete. The major premise of our series so far has been that people need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus. We believe that their eternal destiny depends on knowing Jesus. And the primary way that they're going to know Jesus is through his followers. Those who call themselves followers of Jesus because they're going to strive to live as if Jesus really meant what he said. And he did. And he did. And when his followers do that, which means they will live in a manner that regularly denies self, regularly takes up their cross, which means embracing hardship and suffering for Jesus' sake. Guess what? When we do that, people around us begin to hear and see and experience Jesus in the lives of his followers because they are being just like him. Yahoo! You look excited about this! Yes! Amen. Thank you, Zach. Last Sunday, we talked about Jesus' relationship to his Father. And we learned that, that Jesus' greatest passion in life was living for the honor 
and the pleasure of his father. We looked at several passages, you remember, that reminded us that that Jesus didn't do or speak anything that wasn't his father's will. Those those were his words. And one of those texts, Luke chapter two, we saw Jesus at the early age of 12. It's really the only glimpse that we get of his childhood in the Gospels. His parents, you remember, found him in the temple after they had accidentally left him in Jerusalem during uh, the Passover week. They found him several days after they left him. And you remember his response to them when they, when they said to him, why have you treated us like this? They'd been searching. They were desperate. They were frantic. And Jesus, you remember his response? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's the translation given to us by the New International Version. Some of the older translations will render his response this way. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? In her devotional book called Jesus Day by Day, Beth Moore makes what I think is a wonderful observation about the language structure of this sentence. She notes that in a thorough study of Every older Greek translation that she could get her hands on, there is no original word that directly translates to house or to business. So I thought, well, that's interesting. So I did a little word search myself, and I think she might be right. (laughs) The word house or business has been added within the context of the story so that the sentence will make sense to our ears. Otherwise, here's an exact translation of Jesus' response. Didn't you know that I must be about my father? I love that. Didn't you know that I must be about my father? Isn't that so cool? It is so cool that I think you need to turn to your neighbor and you need to ask someone, why did Jesus say, I must be about my father. Why was Jesus all about his father? Go ahead, ask your neighbor, see what they think. Why was Jesus all about his father? Okay, what do you think? What else would he be doing? <laughs> Legitimate question. Why was Jesus all about his father? Without his father, there's nothing. Okay. I like that. Hebrews says he's the radiance of God's glory. And how can you separate the rays from the sun? Yes. Yes. So how can the rays do anything else but what the sun is doing? Where are you going with this suitcase, by the way? <laughs> Ecuador. Oh. <laughs> you leaving soon? <laughs> okay. The radiance of the father. What else? He loved his father. Oh. He loved his father. Good. What else? Anything else? He knew who he was. And whose he was. Okay. Good stuff. You know, I think it, it, it kind of boils down to a, a real simple truth. Don't laugh. But I think the reason that Jesus was all about his father was because of who his father was. I remember in the early days of my relationship with my wife. 
you know, maybe even pre-marriage days when she would look at me adoringly. Now she looks at me with love, but realistically. I am not the champion that she thought. 30 years of marriage reveals flaws, reveals cracks, reveals character disorders. An eternity between the Father and the Son revealed nothing but perfection and beauty and wonder. And Jesus, to put it in our lingo, was wowed with his Father. He was. He was. Jesus was wowed with who his Father was. My friends, if if we're going to bring Jesus to life, it is true. We will live different lives. Our lives, as we've said, will be characterized by by self-denial and a willingness to embrace suffering for the sake of Jesus. That will be perceived as weird by some. But nonetheless, that is what will characterize our lives. But my question is, what is it that will keep us faithful to that? What is it that will carry us for the long haul, for, for years of faithfully living with those qualities of self-denial and sacrifice? I think the answer starts right here. It's our understanding of God as our Father and the confidence that we have in His character the certainty of what He's done for us and the confidence that we have in His character that He's not going to back away from that, that He's not going to change His mind. His love for us is His children and our understanding of that love. That is what Jesus had. And that is what we need. It starts with thinking about our Father as Jesus thought about His Father who happens to be one and the same. His Father, our Father. Our Father, His Father. Jesus, His child. Those who are followers of Jesus, His child. Make sense? So far, so good? Okay, let's stand and read our text for this morning, shall we? I'm guessing probably a familiar text for many of us. We call it the uh, parable of the lost son or the parable of the... uh, The prodigal. Let's read this together. Jesus has been telling stories and then he continues. Jesus continued. Here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Okay, wait a minute. Does that bother you at all? Maybe. Seem a little outrageous, a little presumptuous on the part of the kid. Okay, good. Let's continue. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, be honest. How do you feel about that? Does that kind of tick you off? Come on. It bugs you if you're reading the text. What kind of a knothead is this? Okay, here we go. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And let's be truthful. You don't feel sorry for him. And neither do I. Okay, here we go. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Yeah, one of them that doesn't get paid. Here we go. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Praise be to God. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. What a story. What a story. True or false question for you. No one knows the character of the Father better than Jesus. No one knows the character of His Father better than Jesus. True or false? Of course it's true. We always need to remember, Rick reminded us of Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, where the writer tells us that that God used to speak to his people through the prophets, but in these last days, 
And we're included in these last days, the age in which we're living. He has spoken to us through his son. There is a finality and there is a permanence to the revelation of God that comes through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And one of the outrageous truths that Jesus reveals is that those who are his followers... They have permission to think of and understand and address Yahweh, the creator of the universe, as Father. Unthinkable to the first century Jew. Unthinkable. And in this familiar story, we have an example of a father like no other, a man who broke all the cultural rules and expectations for a father of his day. Now, you should know, kind of an interpretive note here. You need to know that it's always important to exercise caution in, uh, in building theology from parables. Parables are parables. Certainly, they teach truth, but they are stories. They are stories that oftentimes Jesus used to illustrate a greater truth or a deeper truth. And if we're not cautious in our understanding of parables, we will make God out, for example, as a judge who finally rules in favor of someone who has been wrong, not because it's the right thing to do, but because he's tired of the person pestering him. So he makes a decision and rescues. Or we'll make God out to be a provider who grudgingly, finally provides for his people who are in need because we have knocked and knocked and knocked and finally awoken him in the night after he's gone to bed. We must exercise caution in the parables, realizing that if a person acts less than honorably, it is, if it's something that a sinful human being would do, then it's probably not intended to characterize God because that is not who he is revealed to be in Jesus. Make sense? Okay. Now that I've said that, let me take it back. Because I'm inclined to think differently about this story for a couple of reasons. The first reason is the context that we find the story in. It's three stories. You, you know, many of you, the, uh, the context, three stories that were told by Jesus in response to the criticism of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that, that Jesus was welcoming sinners into his life and he was sharing meals with them. That is outrageous behavior for someone who claimed to be a Jew and was committed to the law. And the stories are all about lost things being found, lost sheep and lost coins and a lost son. And in the first two examples, the story of the coin and the sheep, Jesus talks about the rejoicing that goes on in heaven when one sinner repents, one who is, quote, found by God. So the nature and the seriousness of the context, these three stories about lostness and salvation, I think they require us to take a closer look. And then there's a second reason that I tend to put this story into a different category, and that's Jesus' understanding of and his relationship to his father and the way that he characterizes the father in this story makes me think he's giving hints about his father because this character breaks all the rules of the day. You cannot read this story in the eyes of a first century Jew and think that this was normal father behavior. You just can't. They just didn't. Let's make some observations that, that I think 
ought to impact our understanding of, of God as our Father. First of all, the requested inheritance that the young son asked for was quite likely land. When the father divided the land between the two sons and the younger son turned his share into cash, this meant that he sold the family land. Land that probably had been or or could possibly have been in the family for generations. Now, this news would have traveled throughout the town, throughout the countryside, and would have brought great shame to the father because he had lost family land, which was a prized possession, and he had lost it to a son that he couldn't control. Huge shame. Now, now add to that shame the fact that the son asked for his share while the father was alive. That, that was unheard of. The shares were distributed after the father's death. Guess what the son was saying to the father? I wish you were dead. That's outrageous. And how does the father respond? He doesn't. To both of these enormous insults, there is not the normal response. Now, the original hearers of this story would have had some very strong opinions about how the father should have responded. He should have beaten the boy. He should have thrown him out. That would be the equivalent of disowning the son because of the enormous disrespect that he showed to his father. In those days, children didn't move far from home. Typically, sons would build homes on the family land so that they could stay near the parents and care for them when they got older. So the son shames his father. He expresses a sentiment that is akin to, I wish you were dead. And he leaves town and abandons his obligation, which was culturally entrenched, deeply entrenched, his obligation to care for his father in his old age. And another observation. The son brings even further shame upon his father and family by the way he spends his money and in where he ends up. Jesus is creating a scenario here that would have had all of the listeners absolutely groaning at this point. For a good Jew to have anything to do with pigs was deplorable. But to feed them and to share their food That was off the charts. Disgusting. That is the point. The son was not a good Jew. But as they listened to the story, they began to have more and more doubts about the father. What kind of a father is this? Good fathers don't act this way. Good fathers don't tolerate disrespect from their children. Oh, yeah, and and when the son comes home, what about the father running to meet him? The text says, while he was still a long way off. In a culture where fathers typically were far too dignified to run anywhere, he pulled his robe around him and ran 
to his son. And his listeners are thinking, let the rotten kid crawl home. The father ran to his son. And when he got there, he kissed him. Some of the older translations say, kissed him much. Incredible love and affection that pours from this this dist father to his son. And why? Why on earth was he even looking for him after all the shame and the ridicule that he had endured by this profligate son? He should have written him off. But wait, wait, there's hope. There's hope in the ears of the listeners. The father's going to redeem himself yet because the son is preparing to grovel and ask his father's pardon and become like one of the hired hands, which is what he certainly should do. But the father doesn't even listen to his speech. He instructs his servants to bring the best robe, not just some old worn out garment, the best robe. And to put a ring on his finger, that signifies a dignity that that young man certainly did not deserve. And to kill the fattened calf, that's the one that would have been saved for very special occasions. Everybody else got skinny calves if they ate beef at all. Typically, it was more goat. The calf saved for very special occasions. My friends, the people who were listening to this story, the first century hearers, were convinced that this father in the story had lost his mind. This is not the behavior of a normal, earthly father. Exactly. That's Jesus' point. Exactly. From the mouth of the one who knows the Heavenly Father better than anyone. In this story, I think Jesus gives us a glimpse of a God who reveals himself as a father to his people that simply ought to leave us with our mouths hanging wide open. Unbelievable. The hero, the hero of the story that many of us know so well is the father. He is not normal. He does not follow the rules. He does not follow cultural expectations. He does not react in ways that fathers typically react when their name and family have been shamed. Somebody needs to say amen. Just doesn't. I don't know if that stirs your spirit like it does mine, but it blows me away. Brian, I see that hand. Awesome. You want to preach next week? That's where we're going. That was great. Praise team, why don't you come on up and let me end this way as the praise team comes to prepare. Did you notice, friends, how did the story end? The story ended. The older brother's angry. He's pouting about the fact that he has never gotten a party like this. And he feels pretty neglected. The father says, we had to do this. Your brother was dead and now he's alive. And we don't have any further information about the young son. He's gone. End of story. We don't know what happened to him. Was he changed? 
Did he live his life differently? Was he transformed by his father's love? The end of the story is us. The end of the story is filled in by those of us who are his followers. Our lives need to offer the conclusion to the story. We're going to look at that specifically next Sunday together. Learn how the love of our Heavenly Father ought to transform our lives on a daily basis. In the little ways, the small ways, how does the awareness of God's amazing love transform, impact our lives on a daily basis? I think that is the first step to bringing Jesus to life in our lives and those around us. Might they say to us at the end of the day, wow, he's all about his father. Wow, she is all about her father.